this week on um, the old social media, the old interwebs, I came across a pretty shocking uh, discovery. It was a TikTok video, and before, before you think that I have TikTok, I don't have TikTok, I saw it on Twitter, okay, I have Twitter, not TikTok. Now, I'm of the age of the people who watch TikTok videos like weeks after that happened on some other form of social media, Facebook, Instagram, or, or Twitter, but this one was, this one was shocking. Um, I discovered uh, something going around called TikTok Trans Jesus, and um, that's not not making that up. It, it originated. I saw a friend tweet tweet this video out, and the first video um, it was some sort of protest, and it had a, a, a there was like a screaming woman, one with a uh, woman with a, a megaphone, and another one that was holding a sign that said Jesus was trans. And I thought, like, where did this come from? What, what, what's going on here? And then there is this figure, this, this character on Twitter that then is um, dressed as how maybe they're, they're imagining uh, Jesus would have dressed except with, like, rainbow mascara. I guess that's what you call that. I don't know what, what's up there. And eyeshadow, eyeshadow, eyeliner. I don't, I don't know. I don't do makeup. <laughs> I've never worn any, thank goodness. Anyway, he makes an argument on TikTok, and it's like, like most TikTok arguments, it's, it's based in no logic, no rooted text, no in anything, right? Uh, makes, makes an argument that Jesus was trans because uh, Mary, in having Jesus, did not have, uh, in, in birthing Jesus, there was, there was no male uh, involved, it was God involved, and that meant, meant that... Um, Mary only had XX chromosomes, and so her child would not have had an XY chromosome to pass down, so only could have had XX chromosomes. So Jesus only could have had XX chromosomes, meaning uh, Jesus was a woman living as a man. And so I, I, I see that, and I'm like, well, this is just awful, awful logic, awful understanding of Scripture, all just twisted up in order to justify the sin that you want it to justify. Right, it's sickening, and I hope that, I hope, I, I can't tell if, like, you, you look uncomfortable. And I, I don't know, I can't tell if my, the, the fact that I said the word trans in a church, if that's what makes you, like, uncomfortable. But look, it's our world around us, and everybody else is talking about it. We better talk about it, right? We, we better, we talked about it a lot back in October and November when we did an Image of God kind of series. You can go listen to that. You can hear what the Bible has to say about it. Um, anyway... In hearing that, in listening to it, I began thinking like, man, what, a, what an extreme example of what it looks like when we take Jesus and we mold him and shape him into what we want him to be. We reject the God of the Bible, we reject the Jesus of the Bible, and what we do is we take Jesus and we make a false idol out of him. This idea that we, that we have a Jesus. And, and I look at that, Look at that guy, and, and I, there's frustration on my part, but I ought to look at myself and get frustrated real quick because I'm just as guilty, you're just as guilty of reading the Bible and interjecting our own kind of view and lens that we read the Bible from onto it. And so 
We're, we're going to dive into that today. I'm gonna, we're going to dive into the fact that there is a way in which we can look at Jesus and we can reject parts of him. We can kind of shape him into our own God. And, and if we're not careful, it will be a form of idolatry. Now, we're going to use a story today of John the Baptist. And so I just want to go ahead and put a caveat in the very beginning. I'm not necessarily saying that, Jesus, uh, that John the Baptist made an idol of Jesus. But what I am going to say is that what John the Baptist did, taken a few steps further, can cause idolatry. Okay? And that we're guilty of it. And so we're going to dive right in. As we dive in today, here's the big truth that I want us to walk away with today. And it's a simple, big truth. It is that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. We're going to be in John chapter 7, I mean, sorry, Luke chapter 7, uh, starting in, in verse 18. Um, I just recall a memory for those who are a part of our church as we've been walking through the book of Luke, where, kind of where we've been. Uh, Luke uh, recounts Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Plain. And so we were in that sermon for, for several uh, weeks, we, we walked through what this sermon was, how it was similar to the Sermon on the Mount that we see in the book of Matthew, and so we looked at the Beatitudes, we looked at what it means to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, uh, what it really means to judge others, and, and how righteous, godly judgment and discernment are necessary for Christian living and to follow Christ, uh, how to how to see that a good tree bears good fruit. We saw the importance of what it means to build your house on the rock. And then last week, we, we leave that and we go into this kind of new, uh, new era of ministry in which Jesus heals a centurion's servant. He raises a widow's son. He's in, 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 in both of these instances, it's people who know they need Jesus. And so today, we're going to see again... Uh, John the Baptist uh, come back into the, the picture. We haven't seen John the Baptist for a while in the scriptures. Now we're going to go back. If you back even farther up in, earlier in the year, you're going to see that uh, we went through and, and saw where John, John the Baptist uh, was born. We're going to see the birth narrative and, and, and the annunciation of, of Jesus' coming through, um, through John the Baptist. John chapter 3, where John the Baptist prepares the way of the Lord. And so Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. Shortly after that, we know that John the Baptist ends up in jail. We're going to talk about that. But no, that is the context of where we are in the scriptures. So uh, Luke chapter 17, uh, sorry, chapter 7, verse 18. Man, I'm all over the place. Saying John so much has me in the wrong book of the Bible. We're in the book of Luke. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who's to come, or shall we look for another? Here's my first big idea is that making an idol out of Jesus causes doubt. Making an idol out of Jesus causes doubt. So, we start taking this apart. We've got to look at John the Baptist's circumstances. 
We have to, we have to look at the, the context of the passage of Scripture, and we've got to see what's going on here in John's life that's causing him this doubt, to send, his, to send his disciples to Jesus and say, are you the one or should I be looking for somebody else? What's going on? Well, John the Baptist is in jail. Um, he's in jail. He's probably, at this point, he's been in jail for a while. Here's what he did to wind himself up in jail. Um, at the time, they're, they're in the, the, the Roman political stru- structure. Remember, it's really complicated. Uh, but there were, there were different Herods. And this, this Herod's kind of like a, a prince is, is what I would kind of relay it to or some sort of go, uh, governor or senator. Um, this is Herod and Antipas. And he is in control at this point, And he had a basically took his brother's um, wife to be his wife. She, her name was Herodian. And so it's complicated because it's his brother's wife, but then it's also his relative. You know, and it's like, it's, it's, it, this would make a really good episode of Jerry Springer. Um, he died this week, so I, I, I feel odd bringing, bringing him into this, but it would make a, like, the DNA test would be like, whoa, <laughs> like, this is, mix, this is mixed up. And so, he's done this thing, and John the Baptist calls him out for it. It is clearly sexual sin, and John the Baptist calls him out for his sexual sin. So, this is what he does. Herod's like, I don't want to hear that mess. I'm putting you in jail. And so, he's in jail. So, this Roman government... Part of his circumstances, this Roman government who's in rule and authority has this perverted leader, unqualified leader in a place that when he gets called out, John the Baptist was not scared, called out, he puts him in jail. We deepen up, we kind of broaden the look, we kind of zoom back. What we're also going to see is that, that as, a, as a Jewish person, as an Israelite, there, there's this weight Israel isn't in power. Here they are in, in what should be Jerusalem. They're in the areas that, that should have been, like what was, what was given to them. This is, this is where they should be ruling and reigning. Rome is in power. Remember how throughout this sermon series we've said that, that Jesus came not to fight a physical battle but a spiritual one. And, and often what would happen to the people who were hearing Jesus, who were, were, were listening to what Jesus said, they wanted, they interpreted what he said through the lens that they wanted to happen. They wanted the Roman government to be overthrown. They wanted the Roman government to fall. And so, so much of what they were looking at was through the, the political and the power lens, the power dynamics, if you will. They wanted Rome to fall. And so, he's in jail because of a perverse, crooked leader, and his country is not in power. Moreover, there are people in his country who, who are his, his, uh, have his same citizenship. They're Israelites. They're leaders. They're also perverse and crooked. There's Pharisees and lawyers and elders and judges, and, and he can look at their motive and go, this isn't right. And so the very things that his circumstances point him to is that this is, doesn't look like to him from the inside of his jail cell that God's kingdom has come in Jesus. Well, you have to look at his circumstance, but you also have to look at his understanding. 
What is this understanding of what Jesus was supposed to do when Jesus came? Listen. One of, one of our challenges as we interpret the Bible, as we look at the Bible, is to interpret it in, in, in the right way, in the right context. We interpret the Bible so often through our Western eyes. We look at, we, we look at the Bible and we read America onto the pages. We read our, our structure of our government onto the pages and somehow we, we make this you know, white president Jesus. It's what we, we walk away with. We have to read, when we read the Bible, we have to look back and realize we're reading this in the time, in the Middle East, in the first century when we read the New Testament. We read the Old Testament, we have to look and we have to read it through ancient Near Eastern eyes and what we can know about that culture in that context. That means that often we're going to miss it. Here John the Baptist is, in the first century, reading the writings of the Old Testament and he misses it. He doesn't understand the two-part act. And so here's what happens to John the Baptist. John the Baptist knows what's been prophesied. He knows that, that he's a prophet, and he knows not what, when I say when, when he knows what's been prophesied of the prophets of old, he's also known what the Lord has delivered to him. And so he says, this is from John chapter 3. When they're about to, when they're about to claim him to be the Messiah, John the Baptist, as John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so his understanding is that, that as he comes, he's thinking Holy Spirit and fire, this great movement of the Spirit of God and this fire, this refining fire. I think maybe he's interpreting, he's interpreting what Jesus came to do throughout, through Malachi chapter 3. Listen to Malachi chapter, chapter 3. And as I read this, listen, you're not going to get all of it. There's a lot of it that unless we like took a deep dive in, you're not, under, under, not going to understand. But think about his image of spirit and fire. Think about fire and refining fire as we read this text. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi, and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah in Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old, and as in the former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired workers and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. And so, John the Baptist is looking for justice. He's looking for God's hand of judgment. He's looking for fire. And all the stuff he's hearing about Jesus isn't matching what he's looking for. He's sitting in that jail cell under, under the authority of the Roman government and it doesn't feel like God's kingdom is coming to earth. He, in his circumstance, wants Jesus to bail him out. He wants to see Rome 
fall. And so he's looking at these, the interpretation of the Old, the Old Testament, and he's not seeing the miracle that's going to happen. He's, he's not seeing God's grace and God's mercy in, in Jesus, and he's not seeing the second part of the two-part act. We, we get the advantage of reading the Bible through what has already happened, knowing that, yeah, the first act, Jesus is doing these things, and the very things that John the Baptist is looking for will happen in the return of Christ. We get the book of Revelation. He didn't have the book of Revelation. We get to see Jesus' teaching. This is, he hadn't yet heard the teachings of Jesus. So, he's in his circumstances and his understanding, and he's got an expectation for what he wanted Jesus to do. Now, here's where I think we can really apply this to us. We can bring application. Because what we do, what we often do, we sit in our same thing. We, we sit in our circumstances. And I don't, I don't know what your circumstances are exactly. We've all got different, different circumstances. But man, we live in the same culture in the same time. We have a lot of the same frustrations. Now, there could be something really different. Maybe you've got cancer. Maybe you've got uh, a, a rebellious child. A child that's not walking with the Lord. Maybe, maybe you've, you've got a burden, you've got a loss of job. You, you, you've got circumstances that are heavy and weighing on you. I don't know, we all share different circumstances. Maybe it's the things of the world that just have you weighed down. Maybe it's a certain sin that has you weighed down, right? You've heard me say, we're, we're, we're all on different boats, but we're in the same storm. And those storms produce different waves, and we're in them. When we come to the scriptures... What we can often do is go to the text, and we, we do what we do, what's called proof texting. We search for a Bible verse that we think meet, meets what we need in the moment, and then we don't look at the context of the Bible verse, and so we take it out and we twist it, and we make it fit our moment, and we read ourselves onto the pages, right? This is a way in which we twist Scripture. We twist scripture, we make it, make it say what we want it to say without reading the context of the scripture, without weighing the true meaning of the scripture. And so this is what we begin to do. We begin to make an idol out of Jesus because we take the Jesus and, and let's just say it's a health issue and we go to the Bible and we only look to Jesus and his ability to heal. Or, or it's a... It's a, it's a sin issue, and it's, it's an oppression issue. And we go to the Bible, and we look uh, to how Jesus battles oppression. And, and what we can do is then read other parts of Scripture and go, not applicable to me. Ooh, I don't like that part. Surely Jesus wasn't a bigot. He couldn't have been. I'm just reading this wrong. Let me take that out. Oh, I don't like this. Let me move it. And what we do is we carve up the Jesus of the Bible... And we structure for ourselves our own little modern idol, a Jesus that looks like we look in the mirror. And that is dangerous. Now let me tell you what it does. You do that. You make Jesus your own little genie in a bottle. And then you go and you rub on that genie and that genie doesn't give you what you want. Then guess what you're going to do? You're going to start doubting Jesus. Now, you're not doubting the God of the Bible. What you're really doing is doubting the God that you created. And so, 
That's the warning. The warning today, and, and I think so much of our doubt, so much of the deconstruction that's happening in our world, what, what we're deconstructing from, what we need to deconstruct is this carved up, made up American Jesus, and we need to look to the God of the Bible and have our faith in the Jesus of the text, not the Jesus that we made in our own image. So our circumstances and our understanding, if we just bring them to the table and that's how we decide we're going to look at the Bible, the lens that we're going to see, what we're going to come up with is a political Jesus. We're going to see the Republican Jesus or the Democratic Jesus. We're going we're to find the social justice Jesus and we're going we're to narrow him down and make Jesus only about social justice. We're going to make an American Jesus. Maybe we can go, you know what, we reject Jesus as God, but we think he was a good uh, philosopher, so we're going to make him the philosophical Jesus. Man, we're going, we're looking for health, and so it's the, the health Jesus, it's the blessing Jesus, it's the prosperity Jesus. And so I'm telling you, we need to come to God's word and repent of that. We need to come to God's word and say, hey, we're going to explore and read the Bible so that we understand the Jesus of the Bible, not the one created in our image. You'll hear me say this a lot, that, that we, don't, we don't stand, when we read the Bible, we don't want to look over it with authority and pretend that we're authoritative over the Bible. If you've, if you've ever read uh, liberal, spent much time reading liberal commentaries, and, and I hope you, you haven't because it's a waste of time, but they all have the same arguments, and it's like, well, Luke wasn't really the author, and this, the authority's not here, and no, no one who says they wrote the Bible ever wrote the Bible. It's just it's on and on and, and on. We, we cast authority. Well, that's not really what they meant. Rather, we would come to the text, and we would say we're under the authority of the text. That we're looking at the Bible, and we're going, no, God is who he says he is, so that then we would repent of that. Listen to this, verse 21. In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John the Baptist what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Here's the next big idea, is this. The one who believes in Jesus is Lord, is blessed. The one who believes that Jesus is Lord is blessed. When Jesus started his ministry, after the temptation of, of Jesus in Luke chapter 4, we see... Um, him go to his home synagogue. We see him go uh, to Nazareth. And when he goes to Nazareth, this is people that he would have known in this synagogue where he grew up. He goes and he takes the scroll and he opens it. And this is what he reads. And he reads this from the book of Isaiah. This is prophecy in Isaiah. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
And he wrote up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus, Jesus announces his coming. He says, hey, these are the things that I'm going to do. Now, John the Baptist's disciples come. They ask the question, are you, are you who, the one we're looking for, or is there another? And then what does he do? The very thing that he just, we just read from Isaiah that Jesus said, hey, the scriptures are fulfilled right now today. I'm here. He does it yet again for John the Baptist. He healed many people of their diseases and plagues. He cast out evil spirits. The, the blind receive their sight back to them. He did this right in front of us. And you go tell John the Baptist that this happened. That the, the, that the blind receive their sight. That the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor have good news preached to them. You go, you go tell them. I'm moving, I'm working. It may not look like what you thought it was look, look like. It may not look like what you wanted it to look like. But I'm doing what God sent me here to do. And, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Listen. If we know anything to be true from Scripture... We know it's the gospel is offensive. That when, when you preach Jesus Christ as Lord, it offends people. Like, we can't argue that fact, right? Uh, we can't argue it. If we were to go to the plaza and stand up on the stump and I would yell, Jesus Christ is Lord, as students walk by, what would happen? I, would I offend some people? Oh, yeah, I'd offend them, right? And they'd come and they'd start yelling back at me and we would know real quick that they're offended. The gospel is offensive. Now, John the Baptist. We think John the Baptist was offensive. We obviously offended Herod. Uh, John the Baptist was an, offensive, was an offensive guy, right? And we assume that John the Baptist was probably like had some harsh tones. Hey, he probably uh, yelled a little bit. Um, he's the kind of guy today that like we, our coddled American minds probably really want nothing to do with John the Baptist. That's, that's probably a, a for sure thing. And so, um, sure, John the Baptist was offensive, but Jesus comes, and look what Jesus is doing. Man, he's healing, he's healing the sick. He's causing the lame to walk, the, the blind to see. He's casting out the leper. He's doing all these good things. Sure, there are times where Jesus preached, and he probably had some, some pretty strong tones, but man, most of the time, we, we, we read the Bible, we read Jesus, and he's kind. He is... He is, he is loving, and we would think that he's acceptable, but yet both are rejected. Here's why. The gospel is offensive because it points out that we are sinners in need of a Savior. The, the gospel, the good news as we see it, says that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. But we have to reconcile, we have to deal with the fact that we are sinful. That we break God's commandments. That we don't always do what's best. That we, we have rebellion. And so in his enunciation, in him saying, like, listen, John, here I am again. This is what I'm doing. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Blessed is the one who can follow me. Blessed is the one who can accept me as Lord. 
He's restoring, he's restoring John's, John's got some doubts. He's giving him, he's granting him this faith back. He's actually using, using one of his, um, kind of throwing this beatitude at him. He says, blessed is the one who, who sees me, who's not offended by me. And so this is what this means for us. We read this text. What this should do is bring us to a place of recognizing Jesus' lordship. That Jesus is in fact king that he's Lord. We say that he's Lord, like the one who's not offended, offended by, by him. You're going, okay, I am a sinner. He's not. I need salvation. I can't save myself. He can save me. When we say that Jesus is Lord, we're saying he's king, that he's ruler, that it's no longer my agenda. It's not my preferences. It's that I'm submitting my life to him. And so we see uh, Romans 10, 9, and 10, where Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, it's a statement that's saying he's ruler, he's king, he's boss, that you're not being offended by Jesus. That, that we see, see Paul that says it's, the gospel is foolish to those who are perish, perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the wisdom and power of God. This is those who aren't offended by him, aren't offended by him because they believe that he is the one who holds authority and he is the one who is right. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. I think in, in this moment, most scholars kind of believe what happened is that, that Jesus sees because he's kind of sh- it's kind of shown John's weakness it's kind of shown uh, his doubt, and, he th- and most scholars think that at what was about to happen is that people were about to turn against John, and, and G- Jesus wasn't going to let that happen. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who's least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And here's my next big idea, is that kingdom metrics are good news to us. We should be able to look at these metrics of what Jesus just said uh, and realize that he just says this about someone who just had doubts, somebody who just got it wrong. And yet Jesus lifts him up. He says, you know, what did you go to see? A reed shaken in the wind? Think about a reed. Think about just like a, 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 piece, of, a piece of grass um, kind of in a swampy environment and the wind blowing through it. And think about how it would shake. Um, this is, this is kind of painting this illusion. You, you weren't going to see somebody who was scared. You weren't going to see somebody who was, who was even normal or, or common. You were going to see somebody who was uncommon, who was bold. Did you go to see some man dressed in soft clothing? This would, this would even have, have, have probably been a cut to those in um, Roman leadership who were high up, high up in their soft clothing, not warriors to fight. You didn't go... See, see this soft man. You went to see this hard, callous man. This man who was a prophet. He, he, was, sent, he was prophesied about and he was a prophet. More than a prophet. John the Baptist held a unique position because 
the prophets, all the prophets before Jesus that prophesied of his coming, they never got to see Jesus. But John the Baptist prophesied that Jesus was coming. He paved the way for them, and then he got to see his ministry and, and baptized Jesus. And so he's, he's more than a prophet because he's also now a part of the new kingdom, of, of God's kingdom. And so listen to the metrics. I, t- I tell you, that among those born of women, none is greater than John. And so Jesus is saying, basically, everybody but me, John's greater than them. Yet the one who's least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Oh, man, that's, that's kind of puzzling. I'd use this analogy to kind of help, help understand it. Um, who's, who's ever watched a UFC fight? All right, a few people and everybody else unwilling to, to say it. Like, can I say that in church? We had, a UFC, we, had a, we had an MMA fighter in the first service who occasionally comes to church with black eyes and stuff. And Anyway, he, he really liked this analogy. Um, you know who Bruce Buffer is? Bruce Buffer is the announcer in the UFC. And so he comes and he announces the fight. He goes, in this corner, in this He's like the hype man. Now, can you imagine him introducing Jesus? Like, I can't, I won't, I won't try to do that. But like, king of kings, and Lord, I don't know. Uh, it would probably be really good. But imagine, imagine that guy, the, the announcer, he announces the fight, and he gets you hype, and the fight starts. And after the, 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 the fight is over, imagine if we look back and we're like, man, that, that fight announcement was legit. It was awesome. Did you see how cool that fight announcement was? Well, that's not how it would work, is it? We would go, man, did you see that fight? That dude got knocked out, right? That's, how, that's what you would talk about. You wouldn't talk about the person that, that's announcing it. You talk about that very thing that happened. And so this is, this is what's happening in this, this picture. He's showing, okay, here's this guy who came. He was the prophetic voice, but now we're not celebrating that prophetic voice. We're celebrating the kingdom that is now here. It's not about John the Baptist anymore. It's about Jesus. And so we, as New Testament Christians... As Christians, Christians that, that, that get to look back and get to open up the scripture, do you realize we have more knowledge than John the Baptist had? We have more revelation about what would happen than John the Baptist had. John the Baptist's head was on a platter well before Jesus was crucified on a cross. We get to see the beauty of the resurrection. We get to see the church born. We get to see the great commission answered and the gospel spread to the nations. And we've got 2,000 years of church history that says, John the Baptist, you were right. Jesus was the Lord. Jesus is God. And that means when he says this, when he says these powerful words that you... You're, you're just as equal. You're greater than he. The one who's least in the kingdom of God. The, the fact that Jesus saves sinners. He saves people who doubt. He saves those who struggle. Kingdom, king, kingdom metrics are good news to us. They're metrics of grace. They're metrics of mercy. God isn't tallying up he's not keeping our accounts of righteousness but when he looks on us he sees jesus jesus righteousness is given to those in his kingdom those who are in god's kingdom who believe in jesus who call jesus lord are saved 
by grace through faith. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized him. Here's the next big idea. We either accept Jesus or reject him. There is no middle ground. So when we look at the scriptures, we look at these folks, we see, when they, when, when they heard this, there were two groups of people. There were those who rejected Jesus, and there's those who said God is just. God is right. Jesus is Lord. We, we, God, is, oh, God is right. We trust God. Pharisees, lawyers, they go, no, we don't need him. The, those, those who heard it, they realized, okay, we follow John. We see John the Baptist. We kept up with John. We believed in John. We believed what John said was true. And now you're here. We see you're the Messiah. We see you're Lord. We're going to follow you. And there are those who went, no, this isn't for me. There's no middle ground. There's nothing in between. This is true for us. We either accept Jesus as Lord or we reject Jesus. But when we get in the middle and we look at Jesus and we begin to look at him in the Bible and we take, we don't like that, we're going to carve that out. Uh, he needs to be more like this. Let's add this. Let's take this away. When we carve up Jesus and we make him in our own image, guess what we're really doing? We're rejecting Jesus. And so my challenge to you is to accept the Jesus of the Bible. When you read the scriptures to look at Jesus, you go, no, that Jesus is Lord. He's the ruler. He's king. And I am going to set my life for him. I'm going to live my life for the Jesus of the Bible. Verse 31. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. And so, big idea we must repent of making Jesus our personal genie and confess him as Lord. So Jesus tells this parable. And it's funny. Essentially what he does is he says to, to them, you guys are a bunch of, bunch of kids, a bunch of children. That's what you are. He says, and we read in the context, right? We think there's children. The, the idea that the children sitting in the marketplace, we sang a flute. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We just wanted, we wanted you to, to dance the way that you wanted. We wanted you to do this thing. We wanted you to amuse us. Oh, later on, we wanted you to play the role of a mourner. We played a dirge, right? We, we acted sad and, and you didn't weep. We wanted you to be a certain way and you rejected it. And so then he points out, like, this is what the John the Baptist came and did. He came eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you rejected him, and you said he has a demon. You, you, you pushed him aside. You rejected the teaching of John the Baptist. Then I come, eating and drinking, having fun. Life's like, it is a party. Uh, I'm hanging out with the sinners and tax collectors, and what do you do? 
that call me a glutton and a drunk. I'm not performing the way in which you want me to perform. I'm not meeting your ideal, therefore I reject you. Like a bunch of consuming kids. That's the call out. Like a bunch of consuming kids. Man, that makes me go, do, am I just looking at Jesus going, hey, I want you to be this for me. I want to play the flute and I want you to dance. I want you to be my idea of Jesus. I want the K-love feels when I hear Jesus. Or maybe it's the other way. Maybe it's I want you to be one of wrath and I, I want you to have judgment. This world's going to hell in a handbasket and God, I want you to just give them the punishment they deserve. And so Lord, bring your wrath, bring punishment. Whatever, whatever it is, I think that our, our, our danger is doing much like them, is rejecting the Jesus of the Bible for our own personal kind of genie in a bottle that we can kind of keep stashed over here when we need them and pull them out and get them to, to do our miracles for us, to do our dirty work for us, to, to get us out of the, the hole that we're in rather than confessing him as Lord. Notice that, that last line in verse 35. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. And we see the difference in John the Baptist. And you look at his life and his godly wisdom. And that of those who rejected Jesus. And that, that wisdom, true wisdom, true knowledge will be exposed in God's children as they repent and they confess him as Lord. As they make him Lord of their life. And so here's my call to us today. For those in the room who've, who've never made Jesus Lord of your life at all, you've never considered it, my, my call to you today is to read the, read the Bible, to see the Bible, to see, and see the Jesus of the Bible, that he is truly God. That God, God in, in his measure to save us, as we've, we're fallen in our, in our brokenness, and our sinfulness, as we have rejected Jesus and we had no way to be right with God, God made a way. God sent his son to the earth, born of the Virgin Mary, lived this perfect and spotless life, never sinned. He, he knew no sin. And that by God's design, he went to the cross of Calvary to die on the cross for our sin, taking our sin and our shame, taking our burden of sin debt and paying the price in full for us. He was crucified on the cross, that he was put in the grave, and that God raised his son to life on the third day, and that those who believe in him, who call him Lord, to say he is Lord, he is ruler of my life, will be saved. Place your faith and trust in Christ today. There's others in the room That maybe you've carved up your own Jesus. Maybe you've got an idol of Jesus. Maybe you've got this idea of Jesus that fits who you want him to be. To justify the things that you want him to justify. To do the things that you want him to do that is not of the Bible. And so here's the danger. We see in Matthew chapter 7 that not all who say to me, who cry out, Lord, Lord, will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because their faith wasn't in the right Lord. Their faith wasn't really in Jesus and so today, maybe that's you, and you've, you've got this idol, this made-up Jesus. Reject the Jesus of your imagination and believe in the Jesus of the Bible. 
and be saved. Father, we come to you today thankful for your word and that it's true. And Lord, I pray that everybody in this room would, would be driven to the Bible. That they would have a thousand questions of who is the Jesus of the Bible. And they would pick up the Gospels and they would read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Lord, that you would reveal yourself to them in the reading of Scripture. Not through Western eyes. Not through American eyes, but through the lens of Scripture that's painted. That your Holy Spirit painted perfectly for us in the Scriptures. Lord, reveal yourself to us. Move and work in our lives. May we repent of the false idols, the false gods in which we worship. And may we worship the one true and living God. Lord, move and work in our behalf. Move and, and work in our hearts. Lord, will you seek and save the lost today and will you be glorified today? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing a song of response.